I'm David Ivey. I'm the student pastor here at Polaris. Um, We're going to continue our talk on John chapter 3 today uh, as we are going through the gospel of John. And it's been a lot of fun uh, talking with you over the first part of chapter 3. We're going to continue the second part of chapter 3 today. But before we get started, so I am a huge football fan. I played for 10 years, not at the highest level, uh, but I played a little bit in college, played in high school. Actually, I'm a Brunswick Blue Devil, so I have a lot of memories down the road here at uh, the old stadium. But uh, I love the NFL Hall of Fame inductions. So I went to Malone University, which is in Canton, Ohio. And in Canton, Ohio, that week when they have the you know, Hall of Fame enshrinement, it is like a, it, the whole city pretty much shuts down. And it is a, a big NFL party. Uh, every year they have a parade. I mean, and the you know, celebrities and football players, it's a big deal. But one of my favorite parts of the whole weekend is the enshrinement ceremony that includes the speeches. Now, these players uh, give these speeches about their career. And there's always a, a, you know, a player that talks about mom and dad sacrificing something for them to get to where they were at. There's always a player that talks about the adversity that they have faced, whether it be in high school or college or during the pros or, or an injury. Uh, there's all kinds of colorful stories uh, that take place uh, during their career, which those are very interesting. But the, the, the enshrinement ceremony and speeches that I really like the most are the ones that uh, are the guys who come up and basically say, listen, I understand I played a game for oh, 10 plus years and I get what it is. It's just a game, and I was lucky to play a game and make the money I made. Or the, better, the ones that I really like are the ones who take their moment, their, their, their shining achievement, the crown jewel of what every player wants to, wants to be a part of, instead of making it about them, they take a step back and take their time to tell the world that it's been about Jesus. Now, I love the fact that these, these players, not all of them, but these, some of the players make sure they become less in that moment so Jesus can become more. One of my favorite induction ceremonies is, is Kurt Warner. If you have some time and you're a football fan, go watch his induction ceremony. It was really cool. But we're going to talk about the concept of becoming less today. See, this world tells us the, that we need to strive for the opposite. Like, we should want to become more. Like, we should want to strive to have more things, have more influence, have more power, have more uh, uh, importance, to be more impressive. But what we're going to learn today is that if we really want to live a life that's going to be meaningful and impactful, we need to become less so that Jesus can become more. So like we said, we've been going through the book of John uh, over the past couple weeks. I love this gospel uh, because it completely points to Jesus. Though All the stories are just focused on who Jesus is. And we talked last week that when it comes to Jesus and our faith, it's Jesus only Jesus. Uh, and today we're going to build on top of that. So the second part of chapter 3, we get a story from John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had his own disciples or his own followers. And so back in the day, in in Jesus' time, if you were a a well-known religious leader, you usually 
built your own disciples. And so it's kind of like in 2020 context, like you really like someone, the way they speak or, or church because of their music, you can kind of see that's kind of the same thing. You're following uh, being a part of Polaris's church family. It's kind of in, in the same boat. But here's what happens. John the Baptist is about to tell some really hard truths to his, his followers, and, and we're going to learn from that. But if you don't know anything about John the Baptist, I want to give you a little bit of a breakdown. So John the Baptist was a prophet of God uh, who was talking a lot about uh, things that God would have understood. And so people followed him and followed him throughout his ministry. And he one of the things why they call him the baptism person, because he baptized a lot of people. Now, the Jewish community thought he was so impressive that he could possibly be the Messiah. And they point blank asked John, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not. We're going to get to that here in a little bit. And then one day, John meets Jesus. He gets the honor of baptizing Jesus, which I think is the coolest thing in the world. And so what we see in the life of John the Baptist is that he knows who Jesus is and he knows the kind of effect that Jesus has on someone's life. And if you are a follower of Jesus today or you are seeking him, he should have an effect on you. In fact, one of the most important things when you say yes to him is that you see things differently. You start to see yourself differently, most importantly, but you see others differently and your circumstances differently as well. And so Jesus has an effect on you. And so we're going to pick up our story, John 3, verse 22, and it says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the channel of Judea in the countryside where they spent some time there with them and baptized John was also there baptizing because there was plenty of water to, be, to use for baptism, and the people were coming around to be baptized. This was before John was put into prison. And so this, this two-verse you know, information gives us a lot of details that are important to what we're going to talk about. The first detail, it tells us what Jesus is up to. So last week we talked about him having this encounter with Nicodemus and talking about being born again and this, this important encounter, okay? So it tells us what he's done after that. So Jesus went out. Uh, his disciples were now baptizing people. So Jesus was doing his ministry. It also tells us that John the Baptist's people were hanging out and he was still doing the baptism thing. But the most important key part of that phrase was this was before he was put in a prison. So it gives us a timeline on what's, when things were happening. So when this was said, with this story we're going to read uh, the rest of the morning, tells us this was about a year into Jesus' ministry. So what does that mean? A year into ministry, he, Jesus was getting more popular. People were starting to hear that this guy named Jesus of Nazareth is saying and doing these amazing things. Uh, his, his popularity brings the religious leaders' attention to him. And so there's a lot going on. So Jesus is just starting to get up and going with his ministry. People are starting to get a buzz. And this is where we pick up our talk. So John 3:25 says an argument developed between John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washings. So, what is ceremonial washing? Another word, 
baptism. They were having an argument over baptism. So in that time, pretty similar to kind of what we go through today in 2020, there is not a consistent view on how to do certain religious things. So like in their time, a group of people by the Red Sea, they would baptize their people every single day to start their morning fresh and pure. Then there are the Pharisees, who we talked about last week, they actually built these small pools right outside the temple. And so they would come on in, they would disrobe, baptize themselves, put their clothes back on, and then go and make their sacrifices. And then there's John the Baptist. Now, if you know anything about John the Baptist, he wasn't necessarily the most you know, traditional person. He would go to the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is nasty. It is the, 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 the river that people would go to to do all kinds of things. It's not your pristine, crystal clear water. It's dirty. It's pretty probably contaminated. And that's where he would go, call people out on the sins, and then baptize them in the Jordan. So there's all kinds of discussions going on about what baptism or ceremonial washings and how it should be. Like I said, it's kind of close to what we in this day and age still talk about. There are church backgrounds, and many of you may have grown up in the background where you were baptized as a baby. Then here at Polaris, we believe that it's full immersion when you are old enough to make your decision. And so baptism is still being talked about thousands of years later. And so here's where we continue. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you the other, on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So in other words, his followers are like, listen, this, this Jesus guy, he's taken away our, our, our crowd. What's going on? Well, what are you going to do about it? And this kind of tells us something about John's like, followers. They saw Jesus as at, on the same level as John. They, they just assumed that John and Jesus were right here. And so they're missing the point of who Jesus was. So in verse 27, John replies, A person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. So in other words, he, John's saying, I can only do this as long as God allows me to. It's not by my physical activity. It's about God. Verse 28. You yourself can testify that I have said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. So John the Baptist is reminding his his followers that, listen, I haven't been joking. I didn't make up this, you know, he's the Messiah thing. I wasn't just trying to show him, like, you know, professional courtesy. He is the guy. I am not. And I love this about John. If you can read through scripture about John the Baptist, I love that he knew his role. And he, he, not, he, he not just enjoyed his role, but he was so content of what God wanted him to do. And sometimes we have to find that contentment in ourselves. Like be content with, God, with what God's asking you to do. So verse 29. So, so John's about to give a illustration to help everyone understand what he's trying to say a little better. And he uses a wedding. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That 
joy is mine and is now complete. Jesus and John like to use weddings as big examples, which I think is neat. But in this illustration, he kind of says, listen, if you've gone to a wedding and you are a groomsman or a bridesmaid, and you make the wedding about you. So like if you've ever been to a, a wedding, I've done a good amount of weddings over my, my time as a minister, and it's been entertaining when you see a bridesmaid make a big announcement during like the reception. Uh, like the, the, I had, was that one where they, the, the bridesmaid's speech, she decided to tell her when she was pregnant. And there was like this, yay. Uh-oh. And the bride, you can see, gets really angry. Uh, or when the groomsman's trying to, you know, maybe make a, a new friend with one of the bridesmaids and the groomsman's, like, shouldn't be talking right now. He should be hanging out and being with the groom. That's what, Paul, that's what, what John's saying. He's like, listen, you know, I could be the person who says it's all about me, but this is Jesus' time to shine. He is the, he is the groom. I am just someone to serve the groom in this moment. And if I don't, I'm serving myself. The same can be true for us. How often is our faith about what we do? How often is our faith about the things that we're doing for the church or the things that we're giving or the time that we're pouring into it and so instead of serving the church, instead of serving Jesus, we start to serve ourselves. And John says that's not what it's about. And then he says one of the most profound sentences, it probably in his ministry, verse 30. He, John, must become less and Jesus must become more. He must become greater, I must become less. John the Baptist, a prophet of, of God, understands that if he's going to make a lasting impact on this world, he has to become less. It can't be about him anymore. It can't be about the things that he wants to do. We have so many people in our lives that are telling us that we need to strive for every little thing possible. But Jesus is saying you need to take a step back and allow him to be the thing that means everything. And so how do we take a step back? How do we make our faith not about us? Because it's very easy because we're, we're doing we talked about it a little bit last week. We want you to do the work. Like we want you to, to dive into scripture. We want you to, to pursue Jesus. But it's where your heart lies. You need to make sure, and I love doing these like these self-checks. Sometimes I like to, to sit and like, okay, Dave, where, where are you failing at? Because sometimes I just needed one of those one-on-one conversations with myself, which is very entertaining. Um, but I, it's good to sit back and do a self-evaluation and say, okay, where am I? Am I truly serving Jesus uh, for Jesus' cause, or am I serving it for David Ivey's cause? And so these are very healthy and humbling conversations to have. And so I encourage you to have those talks with yourself. Or, or better yet, you know, if you have a, a close friend or a spouse, you know, bring your spouse in it. Because trust me, your spouse will tell you things about you that you do not know. And she will love you for it and be super honest and brutally honest. 
I love my wife because she keeps me in check, and that's a good thing. But have those conversations. Talk about, are you really doing this for you or for God? So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning breaking down the second part of, of this, this conversation. And I think what is going to be very interesting, what we're going to talk about, is we're going to learn three or four different truths about Jesus that I really want you to take home with you. And if we learn these truths about him, I think it will be, help us become less and him more. And so we're going to jump right back into Scripture in verse 30, uh, 31, and it says this. This is John. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks uh, as one from the earth. But the one who comes from heaven is above all. So the first truth about Jesus that John shares with us, Jesus is above all this. I mean, John says twice that Jesus is above all. And, and it's not just a ranking thing. Now, you, if you work in the business world, you understand the idea of an organizational chart. Like there's always someone at the top of you unless you're the owner of the business. Well, what John's trying to say in the, in the spiritual universal org chart, there is no one higher than Jesus. On top of the ranking, he's saying that Jesus can see things that you cannot. He can understand things that you don't understand. He sees the, the future in a ways that you can never see. So he's above all. He gets a bird's eye view. One of the things I like to do with my family is I love to go to Cedar Point. Now, I'm a big roller coaster fan, at least the ones I can fit on, and I love riding the, the coasters and having a blast. And I've been going to Cedar Point pretty much since I was you know, a child going to the kiddie rides. So I've, I'm born and raised in this area. When I was in high school, I had a bunch of buddies and I decided to go to Cedar Point. We took the back road. Now, if you've never been to Cedar Point, there's a road that kind of splits off as you're heading towards a park. And you go through these beautiful multi-million dollar homes that are just, I mean, even to this day when we go back that way, it is just gorgeous. It's a neat view. You get the lake on one side, the homes on the other. It's really neat. Now, that's a two-lane road. And if you've ever been on that road in a busy day at Cedar Point, that gets backed up really, really quickly. So my buddies and I are driving on this road. We were sitting in, like, in traffic for about an hour. And finally, my buddy, who doesn't tell us anything, pops it in the reverse, puts it in drive, and starts flying down the wrong side of the road. We are freaking out because we know if someone starts coming this way, cars to one side, and if we're lucky, maybe a driveway we can pull into, we were toast if we got anywhere near another vehicle. On top of that, the police could have pulled us over very easy. A bunch of teenagers driving the wrong way. Yeah, we're in trouble. We didn't get hurt that day, but we were foolish to think that we, wouldn't, we couldn't get hurt because we, we couldn't really see what's going to come up next. It's the same thing when it comes to Jesus. He has more knowledge he has a better view, a better angle, and a better understanding on everything in this life. And when we trust him to lead us, we can, can truly at least have someone in our world that sees things better than us. So the first truth is Jesus is above all. The second truth is Jesus speaks with authority. We pick up in verse 32. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. 
but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever accepts it has, has a certification on God and is truthful. For the one who God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives him spirit without limits. So the second truth is that Jesus speaks with authority because God has given him authority. There's a problem with this idea of authority and truth in our, in our world right now. We, can, we see truth in so different, many lights. Like some of us watch TV or the news or a, read the news article, maybe a physical paper or, or a digital paper, either way. And whatever we read, we think it's truth. It's like, oh yeah, you know, it has to be true. You know, the anchor man said it. It has, to, it has to be completely true. But sometimes it's not. Or if a celebrity comes out on, for a cause or an athlete starts to talk about their cause and they talk about it with authority and like, man, yeah, this, this person has more influence, more power, more money, more understanding. Maybe what they're saying is, is true. But it's not always one of the things, it's a phrase that's being used a lot uh, that I wrestle with because I, I don't necessarily agree with it, is that they're living their truth. Like you have your truth and I have my truth and then she's got his, her, her truth and, and you're, so they're living their truth. But the problem with that statement is according to the Bible, there's only one truth. Because according to the scripture, there's only one truth and that is Jesus. And what, Paul, what, what John the Baptist is trying to say is that Jesus is the only truth. And because of that, he gives us authority and speaks with authority. In fact, here's what, what happens in John 14, 6. This is what Jesus says about him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to, through me. So if we are a follower of Jesus, our truth is in Jesus because he is the truth. And because of that fact, he speaks with authority. And so Jesus is a big part of our life and he speaks with authority. We can trust him to give us the truth. So the third truth is this. All things belong to Jesus. Verse 35. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. So Basically what John's saying is, listen, Jesus has it all. This belongs to Jesus. We have a seven-year-old son named Liam, and he uh, is a great kid. He's only child, so we're doing a lot of the only child stuff. You know, everything revolves around Liam because he thinks it revolves around him. So we're trying to give him, like, some real truth. Like, no, you, you, everything doesn't involve around you, even though you're our only kid. And so the other day, him and I were, were, were driving home from my, uh, my in-law's house, and he, was, he pulled out these, these paint swatches that he had found at, like, Sherman Williams. I guess they were out and about. And, and I go, what do you do in those paint swatches? Well, these are the things I want to paint my room. I go, first, you're seven. And I don't know what seven-year-olds care about what color the room is. I didn't. And two, good luck convincing your mother to paint your room. And he's like, well, it's my room. And I said, well, got to give you a little truth today, son. This is mom and dad's house. We let you live here rent-free, at least for now. And he goes, what? It's not my room? I go, 
No, we're allowing you to live it. In fact, most of the stuff in your room belongs to me anyways. We just allow you to play with it. He goes, no way. And I love, I love Liam. That's, that's, that's truly a seven-year-old. It's truly most people in general. But here's the thing. And it's a truth. If we can learn this truth, it will change the way we see our world. It will change the way we ha- our faith works. Everything belongs to Jesus. Everything. Your money belongs to Jesus. And when we get into the mindset that it's our money, we won't spend it nearly as wisely as Jesus would want us to spend it. So when we think of it's Jesus's money, we can give it away a little easier because it's not our money. Or our children. The Bible says that children are a gift from God, which means that God gave you these kids. Doesn't mean once he gives you the kids that he's out. Or once he gives you the kids that, oh, you know, you take care of stuff and maybe I'll see him down the road. No, he gives us this amazing responsibility to point our children towards Jesus because they're not really our kids, they're his. Our time, that doesn't belong to us, that belongs to him. We, even in the midst of all the lockdowns and shutdowns, whatever, we still find ourselves busy. And so often we say, we just don't have the time. Or even more so, I'll get to, to serving God, I'll get to investing in his kingdom when I, I have that next promotion or when I retire, but it's not your time anyways. It's Jesus's. And so when we put that into our minds, we know that our time, our children, our stuff, our money, our lives are not ours. They belong to Jesus it makes us be able to make decisions for him a lot easier. So number three, all things belong to Jesus. Number four, eternal life is in Jesus. The last verse on John 3 says, whoever believes the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. John the Baptist wraps up his conversation with his followers who had followed him for who knows how long with his ministry, who, who at one point thought he was the Messiah, who was arguing and, and frustrated because all these people are leaving their ministry to go follow Jesus. He's saying, listen, if you want eternal life, you want this, the next thing, it's got to be Jesus. You know, I see that and that joy that happens in, in certain families at funerals. Yesterday, we said goodbye to Nancy Irvine, uh, of a, a big part of Polaris Christian Church. And, and the family was hurting, and because and, families are going to hurt no matter how, how long you've lived on this earth. But I tell you this, there is some joy within her passing because she knew her eternity was locked up a long time ago. And when you know that Jesus is the source of your eternity, when you live that profound truth, Man, life gets so much easier. When, when bad things happen and you, your body starts to, starts to fail, when you're struggling financially, when you're struggling in relationships, when you know your eternity is intact because of Jesus, you're able to navigate those things so much better. And so John the Baptist is telling us today these four truths, reminding us that if we're going to become less, and Jesus is going to become more. We, we, we accept these truths of who Jesus is. That's when we make the impact. 
One of the things that we all strive for in life, I believe, is we want to build a legacy. We want to leave a lasting legacy in this earth. And the only way to build that lasting legacy is through Jesus. The only way to build that lasting legacy is take a step back and let him come forward and let him do the things that he wants you to do and live in those truths. So I challenge you today. Take that self-evaluation. Are you more? And if you are, it's time to find a way to take steps back so he can take a step forward. Let's pray. God, thank you for this, this amazing book of John. Thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for the, the legacy he leaves us. And guys, we wrestle with these truths in our lives of who Jesus is. I ask you to allow us to, to take a step back so that you can take a step forward. Take a step back when it comes to our careers so that you can step forward and change lives at our workplaces. Let's take a step back when it comes to our school and our extracurricular stuff and allow you to take a step forward and lead other students to you. In our families, in our neighborhoods, let us take a step back so that you can take that step forward so that the lasting impact that you made in the world thousands of years ago can continue to make that impact. Thank you for this day. Thank you for John chapter 3. We pray this in your name.